Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hello, welcome to the latest Driven Chat podcast. I've completely forgotten what the hashtag I've been trying to peddle for ages is. Something along the lines of brew up and tune in or something. That's but it. tune in makes no sense because it's a podcast. You don't tune into a podcast. You press play. Brew up and press play. I mean, wait, listen. That's quite good. That's all right. We're, it's an evolving we're, It's an evolving hashtag. Uh, hashtag. We're morphing like the virus. That's the South African variant of the Driven Chat hashtag. Um, listen, hi, how are you doing? Really excited for today's show because we've, we've got a proper Formula One driver on the show today who also happens to have been in Formula E and various other uh, Le Mans, etc., etc. A proper, proper cool guy as well, a guy I really, really like. But before we get to the guy I really, really like, we get to two people I absolutely love. The marvellous Monsieur Marcar himself. It's John Marcar. Hello, 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 hello to you. Hello to the listener. Hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. He's very good at saying hello. He's been practicing hellos. <laughs> and, and the sensation that is, I, I accidentally, Amy, called you Amy Shaw Photography at the end of the, <laughs> of the Andy J podcast the other day <laughs> because that's your hashtag or your at or whatever. It's, I, I would just like to say, you are not in my phone as Amy Shaw Photography. photography. <laughs> <laughs> I think when I first met you, you went to my phone as Andy J, the presenter man, or something along those lines. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's that's all right. I'm sure I'm <laughs> down in a few phones is quite a lot worse. <laughs> anyway, Amy Shaw. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Do you know, have you ever noticed yourself saved as anything random? Like, for example, this is a tangent I wasn't expecting. I went in my wife's phone um, a couple of days ago. 
uh, because she has developed a what we describe as a silly celebrity crush, <laughs> a, a, a celebrity crush that really is nonsense because it's not worthy of crushness. Okay, <laughs> and that is she has she has developed a crush on Gangs of London actor Joe Cole, who is not a handsome man <laughs> in my in my humble opinion. However, she's having this strange tangent on it, so I have changed my name in her phone to Joe Cole. <laughs> <laughs> Just. I like that. Yeah, that works. But uh, do you ever, like, I've looked through my phone, I've got a couple of people who have maybe worked with in the past that I've not particularly liked necessarily, or I've thought they're a bit strange, so I've then saved them in my phone as creepy person, person's name, and then have been working with them again in the future, trying to avoid them, (laughs) and then they're like, oh, let me just quickly just send you a message or whatever, I'm like, oh, 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 oh," and just try to hide hide my phone. Yes, I... I'm like you. I have I have a handful of names that, that the first word in them begins with a T and and then sounds sounds quite a lot like hat. So yeah, and there's there's about twenty of them, and I have worked with a few subsequently as well. And they don't get changed. No. It just gets reinforced. Oh uh, yeah, no, but you're still a tea hat. <laughs> <laughs> but John, everybody likes you and you seem to like everybody. So I bet you've just got, oh, this lovely person that I worked with once in my phone. I think the obscurity of names saved in my phone is probably limited to people that I've either bought or sold a car to. So there is a, there's a guy in my phone that I still, I mean, occasional contact with who's saved as Barry M3 because <laughs> I bought an M3 off of Barry <laughs> once upon a time. There's lots of people like that. And I, I very rarely change names. I don't know if anyone else does this, but once you, somebody's saved in your phone as whatever, then that's just how they stay, isn't it? So yeah, there's Barry M3. I think there's uh, there's Neil Royal Enfield. Uh, there's all sorts of people like that in my phone because I've either bought or sold something to them or from them. But can we revisit the celebrity crush thing? I'm fascinated by your wife's new celebrity crush, Andy, because I recently... Sure. Um, <laughs> I, so we will talk about cars and yeah, lots yeah, of yeah, cool yeah. racing. So yeah, cars, 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 yeah. cars are coming, cars are coming. But I... So up until recently, I haven't really had a celebrity crush. But as our avid listeners will know, if you've been around from day one with Driven and Driven Chat and the various... Uh, angles and, and avenues which we have be that videos and podcasts you'll know that we have a sister podcast uh, which is aptly named the Andy J podcast and that works from a very from Andy's radio show but it's bigger and better with extended conversations and as well as cutting and editing and putting together the driven chat podcast which I do I also do some work on the Andy J podcast so I get to listen to Andy talking to these lovely celebrities each week now recently Andy on the Andy J podcast uh, interviewed this going? <laughs> interviewed a, a a lady who I wasn't all that familiar with up until the podcast, but subsequently she has become my new celebrity crush. And I'm wondering if you know who I'm talking about, Andy. If you because I don't think I've told you this up until no, this. you haven't. But you recently interviewed a lady called Nicola Thorpe, who is oh, a, isn't she amazing? I fell in love with Nicola Thorpe whilst <laughs> listening to her on your podcast, whilst, whilst editing it, in fact. And, and I edit, bear in mind, so to edit a podcast, you have to listen through and you listen to conversations, you listen again, and then you listen for audio peaks and things. I actually listened to the podcast episode again, despite that I'd listened to it probably six times already. I listened to the episode when it was published because I knew that I'd be able to listen to Nicola Thorpe again. I'm besotted. Wow. I'm besotted. Oh. And that'll, that'll explain the spike in listeners, John. <laughs> it's had a listen this week. Wow. Yeah. No. I thought it was just a sun journalist. Oh, amazing. 
Uh, no, listen, I'm with you. In fact, Amy, you have met Nicola Thorpe because she is the lovely lady who came to the truck on the day of the Sophie Ellis Bexter interview. Yes. Yes, I remember Nicola. Yeah. She's lovely. She's the one that you were like, oh, I think I've got a crush on her. And I was like, <laughs> do you, Ames? Wow. A little bit more. And then I said to you about 10 minutes later, I think I've got a crush on her too. So turns out John also has a crush on Nicola Thorpe. No, listen, I, I kind of know exactly where you're coming from. Not only was she utterly captivating, she was phenomenally honest she has dealt with some incredible issues in her life and, and stood up to a plum. I was trying to convince her to run for prime minister. I was so yeah. impressed with her as, as a human being, never mind the fact that she's, you know, a sensational person. So, yeah, I, I would endorse that, John. If it weren't for the fact that you already have a, a wonderful girlfriend who I think is an angel, <laughs> if it wasn't for that, I would be, I would be giving you Nicola's number. In, in as my, it stands, you can't have it. In the openness and, and honesty of our relationship, I have already disclosed that uh, Nicola Thorpe is now top tier celebrity you know the unattainable celebrity crush level uh, and she's fine with that i think her exact she, words were do you know it's quite humbling that you're not going for this the ridiculous supermodels you know nicola thorpe's an attractive lady but she's not who you might think of as you know victoria's secrets model-esque oh she's a good looking woman but yeah but but it was the it was her conversation that really made me go oh wow this is a this is a nice a nice lady <laughs> <laughs> Fun Nicola Thorpe fact for you that you may or may not have got from the podcast. I can't remember. She lives on a houseboat. Yeah. That's cool. She's a, she, well, her Instagram is something like the barge captain or something like that. Because, oh, yeah, she lives on like a barge. All, all right, stalker. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about cars? Or something like that. <laughs> I mean, this is the key question, John. Has she followed back? No, and I don't think I followed her, actually. <laughs> I, I wasn't that creepy. But, um, yeah. That's even worse. You know her. You know her tag, but you don't but you follow. Don't follow. <laughs> well, I can. I can. I can explain. Wait, I can explain. No, it's because of course we can use Instagram photos because they're copyright free. <laughs> so when I need to do some artwork for your podcast, I can steal them off Instagram. But that's uh-huh. it. Anyway, let's talk about cars quickly. Cars, cars, cars. Oh no, that's a fun. That is a fun celebrity confession. Uh, I am gonna. I'm gonna ask you one car question then i'm coming to you amy with your celebrity crush okay, okay? Just, yep. you, it is for you have forewarning there okay um so here is my car question for you the uh the ferrari roma mm. is it basically an absolute ripoff of the f-type uh i can see the logic in that uh now, it's, a, it's a yes or no it's a yes or no question i'm gonna say really. no I'm going, to give oh, them that. No. I'm going to say no, but interesting because, of course, the F-Type was loosely uh, a follow-on from the E-Type. And, of course, the E-Type was the car that Enzo Ferrari described as the most beautiful car in the world. And then there were nice. some quite sneaky little design cues that you saw on Ferraris for the next 10 years that you could have said, hey, he's got that. Uh, that's come from the, uh, from the E-Type. So, um, it, you know, they say history repeats itself. Perhaps somebody in the design studios at Ferrari saw the F-Type and thought, mm, it's quite pretty. I wonder if we can do something similar. But I say no, it's not a rip-off, but I, I do get Very, very from. closely mm-hmm. inspired by mm. When I first saw the Roma, I was like, oh, gosh, that's gorgeous. Mm. They released photographs, didn't they, about, like, what, two years ago, something like that? I was like, yeah. that's really nice. Very lovely. And then I saw the price, thinking it would be, like, an affordable because <laughs> <laughs> Two words that don't generally go together. And I just, I don't know, I, th- I just saw the other day, I, I think it was probably an F-Type charging past me, and I was like, oh, is that Aroma? And, you know, I've, I've had an F-Type, I love them, mm. I think they're really, really gorgeous, mm-hmm. and they've got great bums. And I just, yeah, I, there's just a lot of similarity for me, like an awful lot. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Amy, celebrity crush, go. <laughs> Henry Carville. 
Okay, that's, I mean, that's so, kind of standard. Yeah, I know, sort but of he's expected. just quite, he's a very pretty man. Or if there's going to be... The go only way... The only way that would be exciting, Ames, is if that was a proper twist on it, which would be him as the Witcher. Well, with the the long white hair or grey hair, whatever. I mean, I probably still would. Yeah, probably, probably would. Um, but then, I mean, if oh man, okay, all right. If you were to, if I was to go for right, actually, what? No, I'll do, I'll do Girl Crush. If I do Girl Crush, have you watched Living with Yourself with Paul Rudd? No. Who's? Uh, yeah, yeah. You're talking about her. Um, Irish. Yeah, yes, a comedian, yes. funny. Whose name? Aisling B. Yes, that's it. Oh, yep. I know who she is. She's sensational. She's, yep. she's yep. hilarious. As very well. funny. So funny. Very funny. Yep. Just she's been popping up on my TikTok, and I'm like, you know what? You're a very funny, lovely lady. So she is. Yep. She's funny and lovely. Yeah, yeah. She's she's had a fascinating life. She she lost her dad very young, Aww. and uh, and it has it's plagued her. To mm. be fair. Um, and, has, and she's written extensively about it. Don't know why I went down that road. No, you know who Henry Cavill is uh, is dating, Ames? No, You who? probably do, because you probably... Nicola Thorpe. No. You're joking. I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if but you... I, the look on your respective faces <laughs> <You're> is <kidding>. <laughs> glorious. <laughs> but I, I do urge uh, you, the listener, obviously once you've finished listening to our podcast here, um, head over to the Andy J podcast and have a listen. It's not car stuff. Um, there's occasionally some car mention, but there is some really, really great conversations to be had. And um, yeah, I mean, just find a Nicola Thorpe episode. Let me know what you reckon. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, what John is saying is listen to the episode. Don't just Google search her. Oh, yeah, no, that's, no, because that's the crucial thing. It's, for me, the conversation mm -hmm. made me go, oh, wow, this is a... Remarkable. She's on the episode to make it easy to find. She's on a quite a recent episode with uh, Richard Blackwood and Tina Barrett from S Club yeah, Seven. I think, I if my memory serves me correctly, it's episode thirty-five. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> but that's what you get for sitting at a desk audio editing for you hours and hours. Very well. <laughs> I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell. Nicola I'm going to tell that's him. fine. That's fine. I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind at all. I've no shame. I've no shame. <laughs> Tell us about today's show. Uh, this this show, I this, mean, yeah, is the driven this, chat. The driven this, chat. This one. Well, yeah, we've got a, we've got a as you said a an actual F one driver, but not not only an F one driver, a Formula E driver, and I think he he harps back in the conversation talking about the fact that he's driven multiple F one cars from all different eras. Um, yeah, he said it from every era yeah. of F one, wow. which is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. I think most people, cool. um, certainly if you're of, of the younger generation, you will know uh, Karun, who we're talking about. Karun Chanduk as a pundit for, he's done a bit of work with Channel 4. He now does uh, the Formula 1 presenting for Sky. Um, he's done Five Live and various yeah, things Yeah, he's like done all well. sorts of wonderful things. Um, and of course, there is nothing better than having a voice of authority in a field of expertise, in, in this case, motorsport. Um, when you've actually been a racing driver, you know, what I find so compelling about the way that he commentates and presents is that he can put everything into layman's terms. It doesn't matter if you've been watching Formula One for 20 years or if this is the first time you've ever watched it. He has a very compelling way of just explaining everything in the right way that doesn't alienate either the newbies or the people that have been watching and listening and engaging for many, many years. It's, it's a talent, which I think it, it can only be a natural talent. I can't imagine you can teach that sort of thing. It's a very good point, actually, John. And the other thing about him is, as you say, you know, if even if you are an absolute F1 anorak mm. and you understand downforce and how the cars work and the various different variables going on in every single car, in every single team, he still knows more than you. 
Yeah. But he doesn't patronise you about mm. that. You know, he just explains it. So even if you get it, you get more because he gets it better. That's right. He's great. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to listening to this. Good. He sounds great. He is good. He's a good lad. Maybe we should just dive straight in. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This week we have another incredible guest. I'd love to introduce you to Karen Chandok. Hello, nice to be here. How are you doing, Karen? I don't think anyone's ever called me incredible before, but I'll take it. I refuse um, to believe yeah, that. But, <laughs> uh, very happy to be here. Um, yeah, you know, always nice to chat. Fantastic. And of course, we have Andy J joining us as well. I know that uh, you and Andy have uh, have some history. As that sounds quite sinister, doesn't it? You you have history as friends. <laughs> let's get let's get a rumor going, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> Taking the automotive uh, televisual world by storm. There's <laughs> a quiet whisper. <laughs> um, Karen, you said you've never been called incredible, right? Which has just immediately made my mind go to Hulk. Okay, I'm just going here. We're obviously we're going to talk cars and racing and, and your phenomenal career. Of course, we're talking about all these things, but a little bit of nonsense to start with because it's one of my favourite questions in the world. If you were a superhero, which of the superheroes would you be? Well, obviously Batman. I mean, he drives the <laughs> Batmobile. You know, Batman is yes. my favourite superhero, unquestionably. My wife is a bit concerned that I've got four different Batman T-shirts. She doesn't get it. <laughs> She's like, why, why does any grown adult need four Batman T-shirts? And I iron them as well. She's like, you know, like, what do you, I what, love what do you, do? you were straight. There was no thinking about that. That was my oh. favorite thing. You were straight. With, it's Batman. It's obviously Batman. Like I've been trying to, one of my friends uh, is working on um, the Batman movie. They're just finishing the Robert Pattinson Batman movie. And he's told me some bits about the Batmobile that I'm not allowed to reveal. But one of my other friends designed the original Batmobile that was the uh, that was the Dark Knight Batmobile. Oh wow! And my favourite fact about it, because he's he's got little bits of it that didn't you know that, that were in the kind of test models and whatnot. My favourite fact about it is inside where the steering wheel is, they've got a a, a bat symbol with uh, all dark black and grey with the Union Jack on it. What? Why has it got the Union Jack on it? Because it was made by Brits. Oh, I've seen I mean, that. Somebody else. I'm sure there's a photo of it somewhere. That's yeah, Somebody shared that image, which is quite a nice little 
it's a very unobvious thing, isn't it? A little unobvious design quirk. That it's if you're really, really cool. For it, it's just a little thing. Yeah. 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 So my buddy, his name's Noah Meddings, and he's you can you can look him up. He is a, a legend in the special effects world, and yeah, he he designed that Batmobile, which I think is very cool. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I do enjoy the randomness of your podcast. You know, that's one of the things about lockdown, isn't it? This year, we've all got into all these podcasts, and and you know, because we're stuck at home. Um, I, and, and because I'm Indian and I don't go cycling outdoors in the winter, I've won the turbo trainer <laughs> and I put the podcast on um, and I've been listening to all sorts. And I do enjoy the randomness of your podcast, I've got to say. <laughs> well, thanks, man. I think the secret for me is I don't plan anything. I just like I basically just make anything up as it goes along. And most people having conversations would tell you that is completely the wrong thing to do. You should have <laughs> you should have written questions and you should follow them in order and you should. I'd rather just listen to what's coming up and chat about it. You know? Yeah, I mean, well, you've got to do what works for you. Um, and yeah, I think I think winging, if you're able to wing it, I mean, that's a talent on its own, isn't it? Is and I think, you know, Coming from the world of live television or wearing wearing that hat, that's basically what we have to do, isn't it? You are winging it. There is no script to live TV. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if people wondering how, how we have met before, it was, was it Channel 5, Formula E? At the time, I think it was, yeah. Was yeah, it this, in season one, it was on Channel 5, wasn't it? Yeah. I think it was Channel 5. It was either ITV or Channel 5. And I was anchoring and you were my guest. and But you couldn't make qualifying for some reason for whatever reason they sent someone else in to to kind of cover you and then you came in for the main race if i remember rightly and for some reason we were in a broom cupboard we were in like the smallest studio i've ever been in and it was yeah. absolutely bizarre and you totally blew me away not just with your insight and your knowledge and your reading of the race and the situations and the personalities and all of that kind of stuff but moreover as well the things you were able to tell me in the adverts and whatnot Karun, you are so connected, man. The, 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 the number of people you were able to say, oh, well, you know, I was doing this thing for Williams the other day or I was chatting to them or I was making this. You make deals happen as well behind the scenes, don't you? I mean, we're going straight in here. <laughs> You're the deal maker. Well, I, I don't know if that's the word. I, I, I'd be, I, my bank balance would look a lot better if I was the deal maker that you're making me sound. But mm. uh, <laughs> no, I, I think, I, I think. Look, we're, we're very lucky in the sport. You know, we we've got some amazing people and characters from a from a very wide range um, of backgrounds within the sport. They've they've done a lot of different things in in different verticals, as I like to call it, whether it's Formula One or rallying or sports cars or. or, or you know, the engineering side or the commercial side or, or the driving, you know, there's so many different aspects to, to motorsport in general. Uh, I think we're very lucky and, and I enjoy learning about all the different parts of our sport. And, and therefore, part of that journey is to speak to people. Um, you know, when I walk through the paddock with Anthony Davidson or Damon Hill, they keep they 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 often look at me and say, you know, do you not know? anybody is there literally anybody in this paddock that you don't know or you know haven't got a story with because i i i just enjoy talking to people and and you know learning about what they do and what their what their story is and what they bring to the sport and what they're able to to contribute to their team for example or their role within formula one or, or formula e whatever so yeah, I think I think. Listen, we're we're so lucky, aren't we, in this um, in this business of motorsport that there's some great characters. Well, look, the, you know, I would say another part of that, Karen, is because of 
the sheer breadth of experience you've had, you know, from British Formula 3 and GP2 to, of course, your time in Formula 1 and Formula E and Le Mans, etc., etc. You know, you've, you've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, got the race suit, got the helmet. You have earned your stripes. You've been at every level of this incredible sport and you have done it across the board. So let me, let me go in with this one from the very beginning, Corinne, because I've never asked you this and I'm utterly fascinated. You know what it's like going flat out in a Formula 1 car in a race, in an F1 race. How fast is that compared to, because this is the big question everybody always asks, compared to going flat out in Formula E, is it just insanely faster? Is, is it just like yeah. next level faster? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, you know, the, the reality is if you if you put the Formula E car on the same track, let's take a generic track like Barcelona or Silverstone, there will be 20 seconds probably in between wow. them. You know, I'd say somewhere between 15 to 20 seconds. I haven't. I haven't exactly worked it out, but it'll be something like that. So, you know, you're not talking a, a small amount of lap time. There's a pretty <laughs> significant amount of lap time there. Um, but it's a totally different... And I think there's there's room for them to coexist in this world in, in the same way that Le Mans and sports cars and NASCAR and, and yeah. IndyCar and Formula One all coexisted, right? You know, I, th- I think... And this was a mistake that a lot of people made in year one, which was drawing the comparisons between Formula One and Formula E. I'm a purist. I believe Formula One should and will always be the pinnacle of our sport. It should have the fastest cars, the best drivers. You know, it's it's got to be the pinnacle of our sport. It's the, the aspirational value of that is so high. It's been built over 70 years of this sport. But that doesn't mean that there, there has to be an either-or situation. It, you know, it doesn't mean that the others can't coexist. And I think that's what we have now with Formula E, where... It's just a different type of racing. You know, it's it's going to urban areas where perhaps Formula One can't because they're so fast, right? Because the cars are so quick, you can't race them on the, the narrower street circuits or the smaller confines of a, an airport apron like they do in Berlin with Formula E, for example. So, um, you know, I think it's just a different form of motorsport and, and we have to we have to separate it. No, you're absolutely right. And I'm, I'm certainly not knocking, by the way, you know, I love Formula E. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. I'm just intrigued by, I, I kind of, what I'm always fascinated by when it comes to talking to racers like yourself is that feeling of speed that, that thrills you, that thing that gets you. I mean, and this is where I'm coming from, Karen. If you can remember the first time, for example, you were allowed to go flat out. Was it Red Bull were your first F1 team yep. test driver for them? Can you remember? Because obviously you'd, you'd done so well. Oh, absolutely. Listen, yeah, I can I can remember the first lap I drove in Barcelona. You know, it's it's the first lap you drive in a Formula One car, the first time you drive in a Formula One car, it sits with you forever. Um, you know, it is it is the culmination of a dream, and it is even the car. And this is the part that's hard to explain to people at home. Even the crappy car at the back of the grid. You know, when I drove, I drove with two teams that were at the back of the grid in Hispania and Lotus. Um, but they were still faster than any other car on the planet. They're still <laughs> quicker than the fastest hypercar on the planet. They're still quicker than a Formula 2 car. They're still quicker than an Indy car. You know, it is still, around a normal lap, it is still one of the top 10 fastest cars on the planet. And um, that that is just remarkable about F1. You know, it's they're just so quick and so agile and the, the technology involved in it is is just brilliant. I've heard a few remarks from Formula One drivers. You're the first the first time we've had a guest on our podcast that's had the the, the luxury to be 
a Formula One driver and drive those cars, but I've heard an anecdote that a few people have mentioned, which is that driving a Formula One car in comparison to most other cars is almost like flying because it's so dependent on downforce. Yeah. And I guess if you also fly, then that would make a lot of sense. You can make those comparisons, but if you don't, then I guess it's going to be more difficult. But would you agree with that statement? Yeah, it is. But but obviously the other way around, you know, they're looking for the wings to lift them up, yeah. whereas we need the wings to push us down. So, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, listen, aerodynamics plays such a big role. And in fact, I discovered that in Formula 3, you know, when I first um, came to the UK to race, you suddenly realize that the faster you go, the better the car feels. Mm. And you have to, it's a, it's a, it sort of screws your head up, to be honest, because you're going, well, the car's moving around and your natural immediate instinct is to back off mm-hmm. the power and go, oh, this is, this doesn't feel like I'm about to spin. But actually what you've got to do is, is go even quicker and then the downforce starts to work and then, and you know, then things start to work better. So yeah, it's, it's a funny thing you have to learn um, with time and experience, but I think, you know, I've been lucky now to have driven 21 different Formula One cars in every decade, and one from, I think, every decade of the sport, I'm right in saying, wow. right from the 50s. So That's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty cool. So to have experienced a car from every decade of the sport, and including, you know, seven cars that have won the world championship. So in that year, they were the best car on the planet. Um it, it, it's been fantastic. You know, I'm I'm so, so lucky to have ticked so many of the things off my bucket list. I have to ask, because I'm sure there will be listeners at home that will be wanting to know the answer to this question as well. Having driven all of those different eras, where's the pinnacle for you? Because I know a lot of people get grumpy about the newer cars and the lack of sound, and there's, they're undoubtedly still the fastest. But is it for you, the, is, is the good stuff the noisy stuff? Is it the real classic stuff? What, what tops it for you? I think there's two things. One is... Um, from an emotional standpoint, I'd say the early 90s, yeah. I think, was was brilliant for F1 because the cars were simplistic, but they looked beautiful. Um, and maybe it's because, you know, I think we're all roughly of a similar age and we grew up in that era, didn't we? Watching your Mansells and Prost and Senna's and those people. So you, you emotionally connect with that. But I think um, in terms of the pinnacle, to answer your question, I would still say 2004 um, cool. was the pinnacle really? of Formula One. Yeah. You know, you had the big V10 engines. I drove Montoya's car from 2004. You know, the BMW engine was 956 horsepower, the one that I drove. Um, 20,000 RPM, you know, screaming. And and I remember I used to live in Brackley in Northamptonshire. I was, what, eight miles away from Silverstone. And I I remember hearing the cars testing at Silverstone. I could hear it in my bedroom. And then I get get in my road car and whiz up there to go see him. And... (laughs) I think, you know, that's, you'd get goosebumps, wouldn't you? When you'd hear the cars before yeah. you could see them, the screaming yeah. banshee coming at you. You could argue that that time of the, uh, that, that time of the automotive industry as a whole was the pinnacle, really, wasn't it? That's when manufacturers were producing the crazy big, big engine cars with big horsepower. It was just before people really started reining in on carbon emissions and noise and people really actually caring about how much fuel they were putting in cars. I think that yeah, that's kind I- of like a, a peak for me as well in the, the general world of automotive. Yeah, but I think in F1, the other thing is the weight of it. You know, at that time, the cars were only 605 kilos, um, as opposed to now they're going to be seven, I think they're going to be 752 now this year. So, you know, 150 kilos in in Formula One terms is colossal. Mm. And and if you compare from, you know, that 2004 car, that's 25% of the car you've added on top in terms of weight. 
which is something that's not often talked about. And, yeah, you know, having driven a car from 2004 and then having driven Lewis's car from 2019, the difference in weight and agility is massive. And I think um, we, you know, that's, that's something that um, has, again, been a bit of a minus mark, I think, um, in the sport. But that's the way we've gone, isn't it? With the hybrids and the batteries, you know, there's, there's a weight factor that comes with all of that. And, and we're not going to go back, unfortunately. Yes, it's a funny old time. Um, I've been trying to understand, because of course, plenty of our listeners, and, and I know John's no stranger to a track day, even I have, you know, been allowed to take something around Silverstone, which was nice and fast and exciting. And wow, that's what speed feels like. But I don't think there'll be very few people listening to this, and I'm including John in this, perhaps rightly or wrongly, John, you can correct me if you like, who have experienced it in a single seater environment, an open top single seater. And, and that's kind of that's what I want to, if there's some way you can try and describe that to us, Corinne, because I, I keep sort of telling people, you don't really know what speed, speed feels like until you are going 100, 150 miles an hour with a, just a helmet for protection. You know, it's, it's, I've never done it, but it, it just feels to me to be something that you've got to have balls of steel to do. You've got to experience certain things to get, to get that feeling in your belly, isn't it? You know, um, <laughs> On one hand, people say, oh, it's like going on a roller coaster. But it's not, because on a roller coaster, all you're doing is sitting in a seat and hanging on. And yeah, it's exciting yeah. as it as it goes in all these different directions. But it's not the same. Here, here you're controlling this thing. And you're... you're uh, actually, Damon Hill used a brilliant analogy the other day uh, on a podcast I was listening to, where, you know, he's talking about what, what the cliff edge of... You're on the edge of grip, right? You're you're on this knife edge. You're on the precipice of of having the grip to go around the corner on the very edge of adhesion and falling off that cliff, which means you're going to spinning and off into the gravel or into the wall. And you know, look, you know, when you were all in school, um, I don't know if you had these sort of chairs, but when I grew up in India, we had these chairs, which you know, you 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 had these sort of wooden legs, and you'd rock back and forth in your chair. And they'd, yeah. there'd be that point where you take your hands off your desk and you'd, you'd either go, whoa, and you're, gonna, you're about to fall over yeah. backwards or you, or you come back forward. And, and that's what it's like, that, that little buzz you get in your, in your stomach, in your head of, oh, got away with it. <laughs> you know, you, 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 sh- you feel that at every single corner, but at going at a very high speed. Um, and that's, you know, that's just a small example of trying to give somebody some, this example of um, exhilaration, I guess, is, is the word, isn't it? That you've, you've got away with it somehow. <laughs> that's such a fantastic analogy that I've never, <laughs> ever, ever thought of or, or heard anyone else describe. But the, the balancing on the chair thing is absolutely spot on. <laughs> I can't really, I have driven single seater cars, but nothing at great speed. Oh. My comparison would be... Um, riding superbikes, I guess, would be would be a comparison. Yeah. At the point that you're kind of leaning into a corner, there does come a point where you're going at a certain speed, at a certain traje- trajectory, you know, with a, a different to a car. Once you've committed to a line on a corner on a bike, you can't then just change. You can't just change your line like you can in a car because the way that physics works. But that's a that is such an amazing analogy that the swinging on a chair thing and we can all think back to being told off by our teachers can't we at school I, I can remember it vividly <laughs> yeah well i'll have to give damon credit for that you know but uh, yeah. i thought it was it was very good but i mean listen it's it's like everything in life isn't it you know i i just before winter fully set in i went on a a bike ride 
decided to try a new route, ended up going down this hill. And at one point I looked at the speed of my bike and I was doing 82 kilometers an hour, which is quite fast on a road bike. Yeah. And you're going downhill and and you're going, I'm not quite sure where this road stops and the bike's wobbling underneath you. And yeah, in the grand scheme of it, you're only doing 50 mile an hour, which, you know, in a car you wouldn't even think about. But that's what I'm saying. It's it's all in. T- you have to take it in context. You know, when you're on yeah, you, skinny tires, you hit a pothole. Bike. Yeah, you exactly. Hit a pothole on a road bike, on a pedal bike, presumably we're talking about. You're yeah, in real trouble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I think you know there are ways for people to experience that that feeling of exhilaration. Um, you know, from from trying different experiences in life. You don't have to do it in a single seater race car. It's uh, ultimately. It's it's hard to ex- explain though, isn't it? Until you've actually experienced those butterflies in your stomach of going, "Oh God, this is this is feeling a bit scary here," um, or not. <laughs> I don't I don't think my constitution would survive it. I think I'd have to run to the toilet all the time. I mean, it's it's presumably it is that scary. No, it's it's not. This is the thing. It's 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 exhilarating. It, you know. It's not scary because it's by the time you've climbed the ladder into driving something that quick, whether it's a GP2 or Formula 2 car or a Formula 1 car, you've driven other stuff before. You know, you've driven F4 and F3 and right. things like that. So the human brain is, is exceptional um, at getting used to it. I mean, I remember, you know, the, there's certain moments where I've got into a race car and gone, oh, my God, this is properly scary. Um, and one of them... I suppose the standout one was when I did my first GP2 test, actually, in Jerez, the end of 2006. I remember going down the back straight, and it was the first time I got to full throttle, and my head just went in the headrest, and I thought, oh, my, this is just uncontrollable. This is, this is, this is not possible. I can't believe how quick it is. But by lap five, you've sort of, you've gotten over that. You know, your brain has adjusted, and your 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 you you've automatically started started sort of this correctional course in your head of what 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 is the acceptable limit of speed and and threshold of grip etc and your brain adjusts and by the time you get to your 10th lap you want more power because you you've gotten used to that bit and i i think yeah so there's there's still those those moments when you get into something which blows you i mean when i first drove a canam mclaren uh, I raced this Can-Am car at Goodwood at the Revival, um, a 1965 McLaren. And that was the same. You know, it's got so much power and so much torque. It's got a seven-liter engine in it or something. <laughs> and, and on the opening, on the first lap, you just think, this is just impossible because you're on cross-ply Dunlop tires and there's just no grip. And you it's just an accident waiting to happen at every corner. Um but you know, you you get used to it, and you get your head around it, and you learn. But it comes; it has to come with with experience. The Can-Am cars are absolutely nuts, man. I mean, mm. there's, what a shame that that had to stop for, for various reasons. <laughs> but you can see why. <laughs> yeah, you you can yeah. understand why. You know, you are sitting there surrounded by fuel, thinking <laughs> this this cannot be safe. Yeah. <laughs> But incredible to watch. I yes. mean, you know, it's no, it's still, it's still incredible to drive. And, th- and this is the funny thing, right? Nowadays, with the evolution of engineering and technology, you know, the cars these days have more power than they had in period. Although the chassis are the same, um, yeah. you know, the engines are all going back to dynos and and getting modified and things like that. So, 
Um, I, I I did enjoy. I raced it twice at Goodwood. Um, I won the race there in 2019, and it, it was brilliant. It was just so much fun to do. Yeah, it's amazing. So, I mean, given these kind of extremes of highs that you have in your career, you know, getting into these cars, doing these speeds, having this kind of exhilarating fear that, that is a part and parcel of a racer's life. How do you match those highs in the real world out of the cars? You, you can't really. Um, and, and, but I think that's the same with any sport, isn't it? You know, that's why you often find athletes from the Olympics or, or other, other forms of sport when they've, stopped competing you know their mental health struggles because they they need to find something to focus their mind on and and find the next thing you know i've been very fortunate i guess that i've you know right back from 2004 started this parallel career in television so it meant that as as the driving opportunities have slowed down for for a variety of reasons I've still got my mental stimulation from doing other things. You know, I've been lucky to be doing television and columns and podcasts and all sorts of different things around Formula One and and, and motorsport in general and documentaries and things like that. So it's meant that I've got mental stimulation from something else. Um, But it it is very hard to replace. And, And, you know, I'm sure when you talk to, if you talk to someone like Chris Hoy, for example, you know, he's, gone from cycling to doing motor racing and it's replaced some of the buzz but when you you, you know you you can imagine it can't you you're sitting there watching someone like Rebecca Adlington or Victoria Pendleton London 2012 home crowd going bonkers for them you can't replace that buzz you know how mm. how how can you how can you replace the buzz of super saturday from the from the you know the London Olympic stadium from that day, yeah. Mo Farah or yeah. Jessica Ennis are never going to be able to replace that and in their day-to-day life. But it's about coming to terms with it. It's about coming to terms with that maybe you don't need to replace that and you just find other things in life that, that make you happy and give you satisfaction. Do you know what? Chris Hoy is a really, really good example because I, I know Chris a fair bit, actually. We've met many, yeah. many times now. And I've said this to him, and I, I get your take on it as well, Corinne, because I think, as you, we all know, his his prowess on two wheels was second to none. I mean, he was unbelievable. At yeah. the time, he was the greatest ever Olympic phenomenal. And like you say, he went into racing. And for me, he landed a seat at Le Mans far too soon. It was far too soon. It was far too early in his racing journey. And it gave him an, un, a, an unfair view of what it's like to work through the ranks. I know he then went back and did his kind of sterns in, in caterums and Janettas and so on and so forth, but it was, what, second season in a race car, he's racing at Le Mans. Yeah, Just, I, I guess so. But, I mean, it's a funny business, isn't it? You know, I think there was a lot of marketing stuff that had to that went along with it and sort of drove him into that. And you're not going to give up the opportunity to do Le Mans <laughs> when, yeah. when it comes calling. So... You know, I, I don't think that's um, that's something he would regret. No, that's fair. Well, look, let's let's talk about you, because, of course, you are from a very rich history, a family of racists. I, I believe I was a bit concerned when you said very rich, because I was like, mm, <laughs> you've not done your research. here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about pedigree. I don't mean finances. I haven't done a deep delve into your bank balance. But, you know, to, Am, am I right in saying your granddad and your grandmum were were both were both kind of big big racers? 
Uh, yeah, uh, you know, my granddad started the, the federation in India and he was one of the prime movers behind getting the sport going when, you know, the, the British left India basically in the late, you know, 1947 and we got independence. And then my grandfather my, and my grandmother did some racing, I think, in the 70s. My dad started racing in 1972 and, and did a lot of rallying as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I grew up in a, in a motor racing family back in India. You're, I mean, you're, you're sort of selling your dad's uh, credits a little short. There. Uh, did a lot of rallying. He was the multiple Indian rally champion, wasn't he? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, he did, he did a lot. Yeah, he was all right. <laughs> yeah. No, he did, he did a lot of racing and rallying um, between sort of, I think, as I said, 1972. And I think he stopped in about 2000. So, yeah, nearly 30 years um, that he, he, he raced and rallied all sorts of things. You know, he was racing in Chevron Formula 2 cars and, and Formula 3 cars later on, um, as well as lots of different rallying. So, you know, Escort Mark, I think he had a Mark 1 or Mark, maybe a Mark 2 Escort and, and bits and pieces. So, no, you know, I, I, I grew up around cars. I grew up around motorsport. I grew up around um, motorsport people, you know, talking about yeah. things all the time. And, and so it became a, a big part of my life. So when did you make the decision? Can you remember how old you were when you were like... I'm doing that too. A daddy's job is cool. I'm doing that. No, it's a funny one because I, I never, it, it just became a natural thing that that's what I was going to do. You know, I, I, I never had this point where I sought and thought, sat down and thought, oh, this is what I am going to do. It, it, it was almost a given in my head that this is what I'm going to do. Um, I never thought of doing anything else, which is, which is strange because you know, it's only when, I, and to be honest, I didn't realize that, that I was the strange one in that respect. <laughs> it's only when I got to my mid-20s. And you, you get to that stage where your peers who are living in the real world, because listen, we, we don't live in the real world. Pe people, especially racing drivers, but motor racing people in general, we don't live in the real world, right? We don't, normal people don't do 80 flights a year. Normal people don't, you know, don't live in this bubble that we do and, and exist in the world we do. But, it's only when I got to my mid twenties, let's say, and I started meeting my, you know, some of my closest friends are still the ones I went to high school with, and they've gone off to university and done their undergrad degrees, and some of them have got their first jobs, and some of them are, you know, doing their masters or postgraduate degrees, whatever, and they still haven't worked out what they want to do with their lives, and that's that's actually that's quite normal, you know. There's a lot of people who get to 23, 24 and don't know yet what they want to be doing for the next 40 years of their so, life. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't understand that. You know, I'd had these conversations with them and I was like, hang on, you've just studied, you know, biotechnology for four years, but now you want to go work in finance? I don't get it. Like, you know, what are you doing? Um, and it's only when I started speaking to more and more people that I realized I was the one who was the oddball who knew ever since I could remember when I was probably, I don't know, three, four, five years old, that I wanted to be a racing driver and I just carried down that path. Um, so, yeah, you kind of take things for granted, really, I guess, when when you grow up knowing um, that you've got a single-minded focus on, on what you want to do and achieve in life. So let's say, for, for, for the sake of argument, humor me here, let's say you'd, you'd got in your first car or cart or, or whatever it was and you just... You were pants. Yeah. You, were, you had no <laughs> skill behind the wheel at all. Like none whatsoever. None of the talent, none of the tenacity. You had no skill for racing lines, acceleration. You didn't like it. There was no passion for it whatsoever. 
what would you be doing now if racing hadn't worked out? As a driver, if it hadn't worked as a driver, I would probably be a commentator. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, fair enough. You know, I, 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 genuinely, I genuinely like, you know, commentating on, on, on the sport and, and trying to explain the sport and break it down because we, we do have a very complicated sport with a, a lot of nuances which you're trying to explain to your grandparents at one end of the spectrum but also the, you know, the young teenagers that you're trying to attract into the sport at the other end of the range. So... Uh, I think there's an art and a skill to that, and I quite enjoy the challenge of it. But I, I think, I, listen, I, I'd like to think that, you know, my dad in particular, uh, because he was obviously in the sport, was very pragmatic and very realistic. Um, you know, when whenever, and I, I'd like to think that if I was pants and if I was rubbish at it, he would have told me and we would have stopped. You know, we wouldn't have plowed down the path of, of breaking the the family's financial back for a decade to try and climb the ladder to F1 if we thought I was rubbish. Um, you know, and I think, and that's given me perspective as well. You know, I, and I see that now when I manage and look after young drivers, you know, I'm, I'm very direct and very open. And sometimes, you know, I've had the odd driver in tears because I am so direct with them, where I where I say, listen, you're just wasting money. You're wasting your family's money. You're not going to be not going to be a Formula One driver. You're not good enough. Let's just stop now. And and but I think you have to have that dose of reality because you can quite easily just spiral in this business. You know, in a dream world that you're you're going to make it, and and you could just spend a lot of time, effort, and, and money. And waste it all. So no, I'd, I'd like to think that um, you know we we had a very pragmatic and realistic approach to it. No, that's good to hear. I mean, let, let's talk about the finances because people always there's this kind of thing around Formula One where everybody knows it's incredibly kind of challenging to get into, and you often have to do deals with sponsors and so on and so forth in order to be able to fund your existence in Formula One. And there's there's mm. lots of things like that. So let, let's play a game if it's cool with you. Imagine that John Markar is, is, is the money bags here and I'm just a young, teenage, talented driver. How much does John have to spend to get me to the level where I can perform in Formula One? Well, across, say, a five-year span. Well, I spend mean, John's money if, however if, you if want. You're talking about, he's got if, loads of it. Yeah, let, well, if we say today, because again, don't forget, I climbed this ladder 18, 15, 18 years ago. So... But today again, it's it's gotten it's gotten ridiculously expensive. You know, a, year, a season of Formula Four is now about six hundred thousand euros. Formula Three is just under a million. So let's say you got two years of that, uh, and then Formula Two is just under two million. Um, you know, so you're, you're knocking on probably four five million before you've got yourself in a position to be ready for Formula One. Um, you know, so yeah, it's it's gone. It has, you know, the numbers have gone up exponentially over the last twenty years. Especially the, I think the lower end of the range as well. Especially, you know, in the past, you could do your first season of single seater racing for a hundred thousand, um, whereas yeah. now it's at six hundred thousand. You know, and I think that's that that's slightly wrong. Yeah, and it goes back to karting. Uh, you know, I never did a go kart race in my life. I've never. I never had the opportunity to go karting because when I grew up in India, we didn't have any karting and it was a huge disadvantage. I think, you know, if you look at your, 
you know the Hamiltons and Rosbergs and all these guys they they learn so much in karting don't they so I think um but now I was talking to somebody the other day who you know they they're trying to put a program together for their son and the budget to do the British championship not not even going across Europe but to do the British championship in go-karts is 150,000 pounds or something Whoa. and so I what is going on? I mean, the, oh, the world is going mad. So, what? Just to go back to the payment side of things on on Formula One, what what would a team like Mercedes be spending in a year just to go racing? Uh, Mercedes. So, your big three, which are Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, would be upward of three hundred million. Um, but now we've got the budget cap that's coming this year. So this is. This is actually, we're talking at a point where we're beginning a new era in F1. Um, there's a budget cap of $145 million. There's lots of exemptions from that, um, you know, things like marketing and mm-hmm. driver salaries and things like that, et cetera. But, you know, altogether, it'll still mean that your top teams would spend just over, probably just over $200 million um, per season. It's just but, incredible to think about it on that level, isn't it? That is such a mind-blowing amount of money. But then also, <laughs> I mean, we spoke briefly about um, Le Mans, and I, I remember seeing uh, it may well have been on the build-up to last year's uh, Le Mans 24-hour race, which, if you remember, happened in September without the crowds and everything else. And uh, on the show, the build-up to the show, there was a, a comment that uh, if you, as a, even as a gentleman racer, want to go along and race for the 24-hour, just the 24-hour race now, um, you are crazy if you're thinking you're spending anything less than a million pounds just for that one weekend. Uh, that's for you to be a driver to get in the car. That's not you know, the team's overall cost. So it is. It is crazy. I often think back to. I remember interviewing many, many, many years ago when I was writing in magazines and interviewing a young racing driver called Jade Edwards, who you may have heard of. And Jade made a really, really good comment and an analogy on the difficulty when it comes to motorsport and the the amount of lost talent I think was the way that she phrased it because of course the comparison she gave was with football any of us really can go out and buy a pair of football boots it might cost us 30 quid if you get a really posh set of football boots it might cost you 100 quid but ultimately you can go and buy yourself football, football boots and a football and go and play football with your friends and if you mix in the right circles and join the right clubs there is an opportunity if you're very talented to go up through the ranks and get spotted and potentially be a professional footballer. When it comes to motorsport, it's just, it's so far away from that world. Yeah, but I think that's an unfair comparison though. I Mm. think that's an unfair comparison because, you know, you have to factor in that motorsport is, it's a capital intensive sport. Mm. It's, It's never going to be a mass sport because you ultimately you have to buy a machine you have to the, you have to make an investment in technology right so i think it, it's fair to compare football to tennis or cricket or or basketball or things like that where you're not you know you you have to buy yes you have to buy bits of equipment don't get me wrong but you don't having to to actually buy the scale of equipment you have to for motorsport i think you know you can compare motorsport to something like sailing for example right mm-hmm. where where you have to make an investment in in certain amount of kit. So I I think, you know, I often hear people say this, um, you know, this this sort of comparison to football. And I think that that is unfair because it's never going to be. <laughs> you have to be realistic here. You can't, you, you know, you can't compare 
a bottle of Dom Perignon to a bottle of of something you buy for six pounds in in the local corner shop. Mm. Um, you have to you have to talk about apples for apples here. Yeah, um, but what about that comparison in talent? Yeah, you were saying just now that you have to have those very frank and brutal conversations occasionally with drivers where you say, look, I'm really sorry. I know your your family putting all this money into it, but it, it, it's just not for you. And there may be somebody that can just about scrape together enough money to drive their Renault Clio on a track day every weekend, but they may be the most talented driver in the world. How you know, is there is there any hope, do you think, for people that are genuinely talented behind the wheel? And I'm not saying, you know, if you're in your mid-20s or 30s to get into Formula One, because that's, you know, that that there is a there is an age cap where it comes to being in the right place at the right time. Um, but do you think there is a in any aspect a, an affordable way to get into motorsport for someone with a genuine talent to be spotted and to do well? I think yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it's a question of what you'd classify as affordable, first of all. But mm. I think there's there's opportunities to get involved in the sport, right? Um, I, I that doesn't take away from the fact that I think karting is far too expensive. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I think karting is far too expensive. I think the the early ranger, the ladder in Formula Four is far too expensive. I think you know the ultimately there has to be a correction, and I know there's there's work happening in the background to create a more meritocratic way for, for these kids that you've just mentioned to get into the sport in a, in a more affordable way. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no, you know, I'm not, I'm not disputing that part. Um, but equally, I think that when you look at the current grade of formula one, there's some, there's no lack of talent there, right? There's sure. the, the depth of talent today on the formula one grid is is very very strong you know you have got and if you go back across the history of the sport that's you know it, it you've never ever had if the the entire grid filled with super talented drivers mm-hmm. they've always been drivers who got there because they've had better funds than than others yeah. so that's that's not changed in the past and it's not you know that wasn't different in the past and it's not going to change in the future but i think when you if we get to a point where we're, where we're, you know, running Formula One weekends where you haven't got a talented grid and instead you've only got kids with a lot of money behind them, then we've got a real problem. Whereas today, I don't think that's the case. You know, you could argue that 80% of those drivers who are on that grid uh, could be winning races if they were in the best car. And I think... You know, there's. Uh, I think that that's ultimately that's the proof that there is some meritocratic process happening here um, all the way through. Well, that obviously leads us to the to the great Hamilton debate, doesn't it? Because there'll be plenty. You must be acutely aware of this as well. There's a there's a sort of split opinion, isn't there? There's there's the people like me. I'll put myself. You know, I, I'm not going to sit on the fence here. That think that Hamilton is one of the most gifted drivers ever. You know, he is next level in terms of talent. And then you've got other people that say, it's the car, it's the car. Where do you sit? Oh, he, he is unquestionably one of the top five greatest drivers of all time. Um, you know, to me, you've got, you've got Prost, Senna, Jim Clark, Fangio, Schumacher, Lewis, so that's six there, um, and, and the debate of in which order you would rank them 
I think you can have lots of pub debates about that. Um, to me, Jimmy Clark is 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 absolutely the number one. Um, but I think there's there's lots of reasons you can make an argument for every one of those people. Um, yeah. No, listen, L- Lewis is supremely talented. You know, supremely talented, very, very, very um, experienced now and mature. And I think, you know, if you go back to 2011, 10, 11, 12, whatever, you know, you would see still the odd races where there'd be an error in judgment, where there'd be a mistake, where, you know, sometimes he he, he let his um, emotions get in the way and make a mistake or something would happen. But that's all gone now, you know, and this, especially I think since 2017, I'd say he's he's introduced a level of consistency and a level of maturity to the way he goes about a race weekend that, that leaves him with no weakness. There is no weakness in it now. Um, and I think that is, that's remarkable. Um, you know, he's, uh, yeah, no, he, he he's unquestionably the, the benchmark today on the group. So is he winning 2021, making history? I'd be impossible to bet against him, wouldn't it? You know, I mean, he, he's the favorite. He, he, he is the favorite. Um, the big question mark is if Red Bull can deliver a car that's as good as the Mercedes, can yeah. Verstappen beat him? Um, right. If you ask me, you know, Max is the only driver today um, in 2021. Because I don't believe Ferrari will be there yet. I think they, you know, they were quite some way behind last year, the power unit. And I'd be surprised if they come all the way back. But Right now, I think your top three drivers have got to be Lewis, Verstappen, and Leclerc, uh, and probably Ricardo. I'd say and Ricardo. That's your, I'd say those four are your A plus listers of Formula One. Um, yeah, because Danny's Danny's just moved to McLaren, hasn't he? That's right. Yeah, and I think they've they've yeah. got um they've got an interesting year ahead because they've got the Mercedes engine now, uh, which should mm. help them, and they're a team anyway that were on the up. You know, they finished third last year in the constructors, so. Um, I'll be, I'm really interested to see how McLaren, Mercedes, with Daniel gets on this year. Actually, so um, yeah, I think that you know, any I think any one of those four guys, if we had four identical cars, I'd love to see a race between the four of yeah. those guys or a world championship battle between the four of those guys. I think um, that would be a much harder bet. The trouble is right now, when you ask me, is Lewis <laughs> going to win in 2021? You also have to remember that Mercedes have got the best car, and therefore yeah. he probably will. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Well, and like you say, he just doesn't make these mm. mistakes, does he? He's just, yeah. it's almost machine-like these days. Yeah, it's metronomic, isn't it? You know, week in, week out. You look you look at people like Max, um, you know, arguably Turkey last year, he should have won it, made a mistake against Perez. Um, you know, there's there were a couple of occasions where you thought, yes, he could have and should have snuck in something a little bit better. Um, but, but didn't, but, you know, is there's also that difference, isn't it? You know, Max is what, 21, 22 now. So, you know, there's again, as I said before, there's Lewis, Max today is where Lewis was in 2007, 2008, you know, devastatingly fast, still with the ability to be world champion in the right car, in the right circumstances, but with the odd odd weekend where he'd make a mistake and it wouldn't happen for him uh, which we saw with Lewis back then and he still he still won the world That's championship right. um but i think you know with time experience, and the same with leclerc right you know we saw leclerc last year have three first lap incidents um which lewis doesn't 
And I think, again, that's the difference, you know. So, uh, but but both Lewis, uh, sorry, both Leclerc and Verstappen are still relatively inexperienced when compared to Hamilton now. You know, Lewis is going into his, yeah. what, his 13th, 14th season of F1. So it's a big difference. It's mad. That makes me feel old. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Are there any names that you're working with, Karin, that you think are the people to watch for the next few years? Lewis is only a year or two older than I am. And I remember at the point that he was debuting and thinking, wow, this is like a young guy that's tipped to do such amazing things. And I wonder if everyone's right, you know, with their prediction of how good this guy is. And of course they were, because he is incredible as a driver. Um, is there anyone that's on your that's on your radar now that perhaps the, the wider world aren't yet aware of that you're really excited to see grow in the motorsport? Well, I think the world has changed now, isn't it? Because, you know, you've got the internet and social media, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, so anyone who's any good is already on everyone's radar. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so I don't think that those sort of completely hidden, unearthed talents um, anymore that you've that you've never heard of. He's forgetting one crucial one there here, John, which is a very heavily backed gentleman in his early 40s uh, who's got big, big funding courtesy of a Mr. Markup. And that is that is a one. one Andy, uh, I need a better racing name, Curran. It may be Andy Von Jay, something like that, you know. <laughs> Well, I, I, I happen to know that Andy's very sensitive with criticism. So, Corinne, when, it, when you do have to have that conversation about you're wasting John's money, I think you need to really think <laughs> yeah. about how you're going to deliver that. Yeah, try the cuddly approach rather than the you're rubbish, get out approach. <laughs> I think when it comes to racing, I think I'd be all right. I'd be like, yeah, no, fair enough. I won't, I won't even put the helmet on. You're all good. <laughs> you're safe. Um, current let's talk about fatherhood because I don't think we've we've had this chat since we since we last. Hung no, out. we've been well, we've been locked up, haven't we? You know, my son's been in lockdown for fifty percent of his living life. So, yeah, um, it's not yeah, terrible really. That is that is mad. So as a, as a dad now, you know, knowing you've you've seen it all in the racing world, you've seen the highs, the lows, and the, and the tragedies, of course, as well. Mm. You've kind of been there and, and witnessed them all. As a dad, do you have any hopes at all for your son? Are you thinking, I'd love you to follow my footsteps and, and be on the grid, or would you rather he stayed away? Well, I was thinking about it the other day um, because, you know, he's, I've, got a, I've got a simulator at home and he's... Um, I, I was very good for the first six months that I never turned it on while he was awake. Mm. But the other day I was doing this workshop. I, I do a lot of circuit design stuff using the sim and we were doing this workshop with a client um out in in asia and unfortunately it had to, had to be in the morning because of the time difference so obviously he was awake and it's the first time he saw the sim running and he's, his eyes just lit up <laughs> as he saw his race car going around and ever since then so you know he climbed on my lap and ever since then he's, he's had a few goes sitting on my lap and we just so we drive around the odd track here and there and he loves it absolutely loves it um you know for me, my hesitancy towards him going racing is is just the cost of it. You know, I I just I I don't think I'm in a position to give him the the financial backing he would need to be in the best teams and in, in in the best cars at every level to go there. You know, you never know, right? He's only two years old right now. In ten, twelve years' time, there could be driver programs and there could be things that change the the whole landscape of it. But to me, that's my hesitancy is, is purely on the financial um, standpoint. So my approach is not to push him either way. 
you know, at the end of the day, he's going to do what he enjoys doing, you know, and he loves doing. If he if he wants to drive a go-kart and if he enjoys driving a go-kart, of course, I'll take him to kart track and let him have a go because who am I to stand the way, right? At the end, you know, my, my parents didn't do that to me and it would be unfair for me to do that to him, you know, because it is a fantastic thing to do. Um, but I, I think I will, from day one, set expectations and explain to him the realities of it. You know, this is what it costs and this is what it is. And, you know, I may be able to afford to take you karting to have the old bit of fun at our local go-kart track and buy you, buy you your own kart and have a bit of fun. But I can't afford to pay you to pay 150 grand for you to do a British Championship. That's not going to happen. So, I, I, you know, I think all along I would lay very pragmatic and realistic expectations and just see where that path takes him. You know, I, I'm not going to push him. I, I don't think I'm going to push him in either way um, and, and just see how it unfolds. I mean, ideally, if I'm honest, I'd love for him to be a cyclist because was, <laughs> I, I'm a big cycling fan and my dream is to get a motorhome and follow the Tour de France for three weeks. So if he could be a cyclist <laughs> and I could do that, it would just be brilliant. That's Well, I mean, you know, you, you're in a unique position to be able to encourage that. <laughs> you could be like, hey, listen, you know, yeah, yeah, there's cars, but have you seen Daddy's latest bike? Oh, have yeah, you? yeah. No, he yeah. is He is already, like, when I'm on the turbo trainer, he's already standing there watching me and shouting, pedal, pedal, pedal. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very aggressively, um, I'm aggressively <laughs> pushing the cycling and being passive when it comes to the motorsport in, in either direction. Awesome. Well, also, now that you've highlighted the costs, which I, to be fair, I hadn't realised how much karting is. I mean, that's mm. perverse. But now you've highlighted the costs, and the other thing you have to factor in is whether, you, whether you're stopping at one or whether you're going to have more children, in which case that will limit their options even further, <laughs> won't it? Well, you, I mean, they could end up with a situation like in our house where my brother showed zero interest in motorsport. So, mm. he, um, you know, so, so fortunately, they only had one son to bankrupt them. <laughs> i'd say it's worked out pretty well though wouldn't you yeah it's a funny business isn't it? you spend 10 years spiraling into debt and then you spend the next 10 just barely getting yourself back out of it now so <laughs> you spend 20 years of your life and you're back to ground zero at that point <laughs> <laughs> but what a journey well, I mean, no no fun. listen I, mean... I would not trade it for the world um don't get me wrong listen you know i i was very lucky as i say at the age of well, at the age of 19, 20, I was negotiating when most of my friends were getting pissed at the pub in the uni undergrad dorm rooms or whatever. You know, I was negotiating deals for hundreds of thousands of pounds with race teams and sponsors and going out and making presentations and trying to get people to invest in this journey that I was doing and doing press conferences with 50, 60 journalists and traveling the world and going racing and, and you know, learning how culturally how to work with a with a Korean team or with a British team or the German team and you know you you learn so much in this sport and um and that's all of that of course is aside from the actual fact of driving the race cars which is obviously the best bit of it mm. so no I think you know I, I would not wouldn't trade for the world awesome if we could put you back in any car at the start of any race across your career outcome irrelevant you get to redo that race which would you ju jump into? If I could redo the race, um, it would be Le Mans 2014 um, because I think we could have won, won our class that year 
Uh, I was fastest in the test. The car was very, very competitive. And um, I got caught out in a rainstorm. Uh, we were all on slicks going down the straight and we got caught in a rainstorm. And I think seven of us aquaplaned off under the safety car. The water just got under the belly Jeez. of the car, no steering and, and just aquaplaned off. And, and that ruined our race. And yeah, I think genuinely that, that would have been... Um, you know, that was a great chance to win that year. So, yeah, if I could go back, I don't know what I would have done differently because I had no brakes or steering or anything at that point <laughs> as I was sailing down the Monsoon <laughs> Strait. But, um, you know, you like to think you could have tried to do something different. Do you know, I've asked that question to a few different racing drivers and no one ever, they, they always do exactly the same as you. They choose a race that they didn't quite win. Uh, that's what I do. Rather than going, do you know what? I just love the experience or that car in particular was amazing or I was feeling on top of the world that day or I just, you know, whatever it might be, like the, the kind of common things I'd think they'd go for, the atmosphere, the people, the noise, the smell, the whatever it might be. But it's always, it's always the race they didn't quite win. Always. Yeah, because you always want more, isn't it? That's the nature of, of, of <laughs> that's the nature with you, right? of competitive with people. You. you know, you always want more. Yeah. Um, and that's what drives us, really. You know, it, it's funny because, you know, on the sim, we do these, that our only break, our only break from the tedium of lockdown this year has been we've created this, this little boys group and we have a, a little boys night in um, on a sim, uh, on a sim night. And it's, we've got a great group of people, you know, it's people like Jason Plato and Anthony Davidson and Dario Franchitti and Darren Turner, you know, lots of, lots of racing drivers, basically. Um, there's some talent there's some talent showing up to these races yeah and, and but you know we stay all under the radar no no streaming and social media and any of that rubbish it's just <laughs> it's just boys and banter and hurling abuse and stuff but we're all you know we're all we're all just so competitive and we're all just swearing and getting annoyed with ourselves and you sometimes have to have to take a step back and say oh god come on boys you know this is it's just a fun night in with your mates and instead we're all just getting more and more angry with ourselves it's very funny it's the it's the whole that it's just a game mentality isn't it no it's not it's no, not it's just not. a game it's it really can't. Yeah. there's an opportunity to come first it doesn't matter if it's just a game because there's an yeah. opportunity to come first yeah but it was with everything, isn't it? You know, I remember like as a kid, you know, my brother and I would have races running up the stairs. We, mm. Everything's a competition, isn't it? Everything turns into a competition. Yeah, definitely. I would, I would love you to just change it up just for one week, Kieran, and just instead of doing it on the sim, Mario Kart it. <laughs> well, we have some pretty random combinations, I'll be honest. You know, we raced uh, Mazda MX-5s at Alton Park. We raced some super trucks around some dirt track in wisconsin <laughs> the other night um, oh that's cool <laughs> yeah i think you know we've raised what else have we done we did we went to mugello with some indie cars we raced lotus 79 somewhere so yeah no we've done some weird and wonderful combinations that's awesome yeah, well no that sounds cool but it's still not going a you know jumping across a mushroom that makes you invincible no. or, <laughs> you know th th throwing a red shell at the leader or something i mean that's that just just for one night i know i know maybe <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, that's the only thing I can recommend. <laughs> I, I'm hopeless at The Sims, but give me a bit of Mario Kart. I'm all there. I'm all in. <laughs> it's, it's great fun. You've got, you've got to give it a try. So what's next for you, Corinne? You, you obviously jump back on the fun bus. Uh, Channel 4 again, isn't it, for this year? No, no. I've been with Sky now since um, 2019. Oh, of course. 
My bad, of course. Yes. Um, and so I'll be back. Uh, yep, back with them uh, heading to Bahrain for testing um, in a few weeks' time. So we'll go that. Go to that. And then, uh, yeah, the season will, you know, obviously we've got a calendar of 23 races. How many we actually get, we'll wait and see. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think, to be fair, it looks like the, the vaccine rollout is going better in the UK than it is in a, in a lot of other countries at the moment. So, you know, fingers crossed for us that it goes, keeps going in that direction. Um, but yeah, you know, I'll carry on with that. Carrying on with Williams, doing doing stuff with the Heritage Program. Um, got a few projects still with the Circuit Design Company. I work with Driven, um, Driven International, based in in Surrey. So we've got a few projects on the go with that, um, which keeps me busy in between races. Um, so yeah, no, there's a there's a few irons in the fire as always. Um, you know, writing bits and pieces for Autosport and and things like that. You always just seem so incredibly busy. I, I, I'm always thinking to myself, well, ha- have you got assistance here? Because you mm. you just, there's so much. You know, I'll see you at a circuit and then there'll be a, an article dropping and then there's all sorts of other things going on. I'm just like, well, I mean, do you sleep? How's, how do you fit it all in? Well, it's, it's just good to be busy, isn't it? You know, I think when you're not busy, then you're in trouble in, in, in this business. So, um, you know, I think, I think, uh, and, and it's the nature of it, isn't it? You you know what it's like. You know when you work for yourself, and you 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 recognize and you realize all of a sudden when you haven't got if you got a day without any work on, you start to worry a little bit, haven't you? So um, <laughs> it's in the back. It's always in the back of your head to to make sure that you've got you've got things going on. Yeah, although I wouldn't mind a couple without any on just once in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Oh. Listen, you know, obviously, um, but I think. I think lock, lockdown has changed and, and the whole COVID thing in the last year has changed the way we all approach life, isn't it? In the way we balance family life and work life and mm. with the way we're operating, the way we're working. the way I mean, look at how we're doing this podcast. We're all sitting in three different places. We'd never do that in the past, mm. um, which I think, you know, there's pluses mm. and minuses. It's, you know, the remote recording helps us all to, well, I'm sure it helps you guys get access to guests that you wouldn't otherwise get because they can do it from their own house. Um, yeah. But on the flip side, I quite like sitting around a table with other people and yeah. and you know having a chat. Uh, and you yeah, you, you lose too. that you you lose a layer of that that connection, don't you, by staring at each other like we're doing now over a computer screen. So you know, there's 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 lots of um, there's lots of different things. I think we've all learned um, from the last eighteen months. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a it's been a weird time and. I'm still not convinced that the world is going to turn as we're all expecting it to mm. quite in the same way ever again, actually. But we'll see. I think Formula One will be safe in, in a, you know, in a sort of perverse way. You sort of think of all the sports that probably will be able to continue, maybe not with crowds in 2021, but, you know, at some point they'll probably be able to reintroduce them and give them a different way of working and so on. But, I, you know, you suspect that the resilience of something like a Formula One will, will definitely without, I'd have thought. Mm. It's too big to fail, isn't it? Listen, everything can fail. Right? You, you you can never be complacent and think that you're too big to fail. But I think F1 have done a brilliant job. They've worked very, very hard at, at making sure that the, the races ran last year. I mean, it was incredible to do those 17 races. You know, the logistics operation of getting all of us, you know, there's 3,000 of us who travel, getting COVID tested every five days and all that sort yeah. of stuff. You know, the logistics involved and the paperwork involved for all of us to be going to the test centers and, and making sure you're on charter flights and making sure that, you know, we've got exemptions when we land in, in all these different countries and we can come back home and, and 
come back to our families, but come back safe. So you have to make sure you're tested before you get on the plane. And you know, there's all these things. But they, but they did a, if you look at the global, across global sport, you know, they, they did a remarkable job. You know, by far, I think the benchmark of any sport in the world. Absolutely. I couldn't agree further. Actually, they, they were so, they were you, the level to, to aspire to. You know, the people are getting it right. They absolutely nailed it in the logistics of Formula One. Um, Corinne, I'm mindful of how long we've chatted for, and I, and I know that we're kind of tight on time now. So I just have one last question for you, if that's all right. And it, just because it, it's, it sort of came back to me, we were chatting, John and I were chatting with Nikki Shields recently, who I know you know, who's just lovely. And you mentioned earlier in our conversation, you know everybody, and, and, and you're so connected in this world. One of the things that came up was Extreme E, which I'm, I'm still sort of slightly confused about, to be honest, the idea of racing on polar ice caps in order to bring awareness to polar ice caps. It still sort of strikes me as being a bit nuts. But you probably know a lot more about it than I do. And the machinery involved looks amazing. Some of the names involved. Jensen himself is going to be racing. Do you think this is going to be a, a sort of a, a series to watch? Is it going to be, is it going to be quality? Listen, the one thing I do know is Alejandro Agag who's behind it. He seems to have a bit of a Midas touch, doesn't he? You know, he's a, he he's a very, very smart and shrewd operator. Um, and he's, he's, he's got a very strong marketing and PR message. You know, they, um, the way he goes about things is, is very, very impressive. So he's, he's done a great job roping in, you know, as you say, great team names, people like Lewis and Jensen and, and Rosberg and Andretti and Ganassi. You know, there's some great teams who have gotten involved in it. Um, Carlos Sainz as well. Carlos Sainz is driving. Yeah, I think, I think there's going to be some, some very entertaining racing. The locations look pretty spectacular from, from what he's, he's shown me. Um, so I, I, I think, um, yeah, it's going to, it'll be interesting to see, won't it? it it's going to be different. It's going to be radically different. Um, we'll see how it, see how it plays out i mean i i suspect that actually you know the the person who would be most excited to go along to it would be amy because the the photography opportunities on extreme e look incredible don't they when you look at you look at the locations they're going to um yeah i bet that it looks pretty stunning yes yes absolutely although i don't know if she'd be thrilled about the idea of spending six months on a on a cruise liner, which I think a lot of the teams and, and the vehicles, et cetera, are having to do, aren't they? Oh, I didn't realise. I thought I thought it was just the vehicles. I, I didn't realise the people are doing, staying on there as well. Wow. Yeah, I, okay, that's I, a big commitment. I think so. I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a sort of presenting gig you'd want, is it? You know, you'd be like, there you go, you can, uh, you can cover the races. Okay, where am I staying? On the boat. <laughs> what? All, all the time? Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> now you're all right. <laughs> I'm not saying that's what they've offered, by the way. I'm just imagining that's the pitch. <laughs> it would be tough, though, wouldn't it? I mean, I, I struggle with the 45-minute sailing from Dover to Dunkirk. I couldn't imagine having to spend six months on a damn boat, even if it does mean a bit of motorsport in between. Yeah, but sa- I suppose it's sailors do people. it, though, don't they? Yeah, like, because they like it. So... Yeah, I mean, there will obviously be exceptions. You know, you're not going to have your Jensen's and your King Carlos's and so on and so forth living on the boat. But I think, you know, a, a lot of key team members, I think, are, mm. are expected to. I might be totally wrong, Corinne. You probably have much more detail and tell me I'm completely wrong. But that's, um, that, I'm, I might be misreading it, but that was my understanding. A fair, a fair percentage of them will be on that boat. I'm sure, but, I'm sure you you'll know. be able to dip in and out. I can't imagine Jensen's going to be living on that boat for six months. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. 
yeah. No, but I think, yeah, um, yeah no, it, it, it looks, from all the trailers you see, it looks pretty spectacular, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It does, it does. It's, it's definitely piqued my interest, that's for sure. You know, I can't stop thinking about it, partly because I think the cars look seriously cool. I mean, it's... It's a big, big factor, isn't it? Um, but look, listen, Karen, you've given us so much of your time today and what a pleasure. I knew it would be good talking to you. I remember when I said to John, hey, listen, he, he might come on the pod. We were like, oh, hands together moment. So, and you haven't disappointed, man. Thank you so much for your company. It's been a real pleasure. No, absolutely a pleasure to, to chat with you guys. Happy to, happy to come along at any point and keep the podcast coming. You know, as long as we're all uh, locked up and locked down, it's it's keeping me entertained, that's for sure. Oh, that's good. Well, let's hope then we can look forward to a time where we can all be sat around a table together as well, because you're so right. It's you know, Doing them remotely is great, and it does mean that we can speak to people that often at a bit of an ad hoc basis, but there's, there is no comparison to being sat around a table together. So let's... let's well, the, la- the, last, um, the last podcast I did before lockdown started last year... Um, we did it at my local pub. We we all I did oh. I did a podcast with the race, and we thought, you know what? Instead, we used to do it in my in our in my living room, um, and I had a deal where I had to always I had to organize carrot cake because that's <laughs> the boys would you know they had this thing the obsession with carrot cake, oh. um, and then I said, you know what? Let's mix it up. Let's go to the local pub, and it was brilliant. It's just not you know it was great. We we took the recording equipment. We all sat around a quiet corner in the pub. Um, and we had the fire, you know, the, the fire in the corner. And I thought, this is actually quite nice. You know, this is a justifiable working lunch here. Um, so, yeah, it'll be it'll be nice to go down to the pub for one of Absolutely, You've made that sound like it's a different world. And you'll have to bring you'll have to bring Amy along because I need to discuss minis with an expert because I've suddenly got this bee <laughs> in my bonnet about wanting to buy an old mini. I need to discuss that with an expert. <laughs> now that's a deal. That is a deal we can definitely make because yeah, Amy and Amy and Minnie's are kind of hand in glove. So you got it, man. As soon as as soon as the world is turning again, that pub with the fireplace and the carrot cake, and Amy and our slot, it's a date. Excellent. Look forward to it. Thank you so much, Karen. You have a wonderful Cheers, rest of your guys. day. Take it easy. Thank you. Cheers. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.